0: That's what I've done is I've completely changed my martial arts curriculum to answer today's problems. And it might not necessarily defending yourself against a right hand punch in the face. Ladies and gentlemen. Hi,
1: everybody. Good evening. Are you ready? Keep this frequency clear. I know you're going to dig this. Oh, yeah. Okay, here we go. Check, Check it out.
0: Hi, this is
1: George Free from MartialArtsMedia.com, and welcome to the Martial Arts Media Business Podcast, episode number eight. Today, exciting guest I have for you is Sean Allen. Now, with this story, I wanted to go full circle, because if you remember my first episode, my first three, actually, first interview with Graham and Phil from the WA Institute of Martial Arts, which was split over three episodes, you might have picked up that they actually purchased the school at that point from their initial instructor. And that instructor was Sean Allen. And although Sean grew the business to about six, five, six hundred 600 students at that point in time, before he sold it off, that's not what success means for Sean. And I found it fascinating that, much like myself, Sean has based his entire life around building a business that suits his lifestyle and not the other way around. And Sean is truly living a successful life for himself, has moved down south here in Western Australia, down south being Margaret River area, where there is just amazing surf spots where he gets to surf every day and teach a very small niche group of people but really where he gets to express his personal values and teach kids the life lessons and skills to deal with problems and life situations through his martial arts and through his martial arts classes. You can find all the show notes on martialartsmedia.com forward slash eight and all the transcriptions are available up from this interview. If you get any value out of this episode or any of the others, please head over to iTunes. You can find the link below this episode and head over there and just leave us a review. Five-star reviews really, really help us get up in the rankings, but an honest review is much appreciated. But with that, I'm going to leave you and I'd like to welcome to the show, Sean Allen. Good day, everyone. Today, I have with me Sean Allen. Now. A bit of a, I honestly don't know Sean Allen too well, but I've heard his name around the industry quite a while. Now, my podcast started out initially interviewing Graham and Phil from the WA Institute of Martial Arts. And if you picked up on that story, they, they, they got into, well, before it was the WA Institute of Martial Arts, they pretty much purchased the school. And the original owner was Sean Allen. So I wanted to go full story and, and go back and interview Sean because when I used to train at Weimar, Sean Allen's name popped up a lot and I, I didn't know, there was always these, these one-liner words of wisdom that came from Sean Allen and I never knew who Sean Allen was. So now, other than the, 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 the start of Weimar, before it was Weimar, I'm going to get into that story. Sean Allen has vast experience in martial arts. And has now moved over to Margaret River, where he's loving the lifestyle, and I always see surf pictures and things pop up around Facebook. But that's it. I want to I want to just introduce Sean and get him, of course, to share his full story. So, welcome to the show, Sean. George, thank you very much. Um, much appreciate your
0: interest in my side of the world and in me, of course.
1: Awesome. So. Let's start then right at the beginning and with, with you as such. So who is Sean Allen?
0: Well, uh, 35 years of martial arts. I'm 54 um, years of age at the moment. So actually it's a bit over 35 years of martial arts. But started as a teenager um, for the usual reasons. I mean, just prior to the us starting to talk for the interview, I said that, you know, my As everybody does I've evolved and changed in my 50s and I'm a a vastly different beast than the one that I was when I was training and teaching in the uh the early and late 80s when I first started as an instructor um and you know I suppose we can go back as the original reasons I started training in martial arts which probably wasn't that much different to most other people but uh um, you know, it depends where you want to start as to whether you want to start why I first started training in martial arts or where I am at the moment. Which which yes, end should I yes, start at?
1: Well, right. If you if, yeah, if you don't mind me, sh- if you don't mind sharing the beginning, or what were, yep. what were your reasons for starting martial arts?
0: Look, as a um, <clears throat> as a young kid, I was uh, bullied. Which uh, I haven't got the monopoly on being bullied. Um, I moved around a fair bit as uh, a young man with my father moving up his corporate ladder and moving the family to to different opportunities that he had. And I changed schools eight times so that I was always the relative new kid, which left me feeling a little bit insecure, as it would with anybody. Later on, that was an advantage because it means that I could adapt to new situations quite easily. But yeah, I was picked on, bullied, beaten hit um purely for the fun and enjoyment of other groups of people so when i was in my in school i thought this is crazy i um i've got to learn how to defend myself because i've never been a violent character i've never been one of those guys that likes to fight so i it was a real challenge for me to be able to step into a martial arts academy i tried taekwondo for a while i tried karate for a while i tried um a judo class here and there and i sort of stuck with bits and pieces and it wasn't until i had just um, i had just become a legal age to be able to go into a drinking establishment and i saw my original instructor walk out and there was a large group of guys encircling a car and uh, jesus goes way back And my instructor, my original instructor, Rod Stroud, was not a big man. He wasn't tall, um, but quite a strong person. And he went out and told these guys, it was about 15 or 16 guys, to clear off. A few of them fronted up to him, and he made short work of them. And I just remember him being in the middle of a big circle and everybody being scared to go near this guy. And I remember thinking, holy crap, who is that? And I was standing at a safe distance about 50 metres away. (laughs) And a guy next to me said, that's my instructor. He trains at, and he told me where and when they trained. That was on a Sunday. I was there on the Monday and continued to train. I brought two friends. They dropped out. I continued on after that. And it was always for me a, a series of consecutive challenges It was a challenge to turn up to training in those days because the contact was plentiful. Um, These guys weren't uh, placid martial artists in any way, shape, or form. They were violent men who worked in security who had a string of assault charges on them constantly. So knowing that and me being a surfy boy who was a bit of a pacifist, it was a challenge for me to just turn up to training Um, but then as low and behold, the next year I kept training and I grew, uh, six inches. So I became six foot one and, um, I could start to get a bit more control over what happened to me. And, uh, that became a series of challenges that I, that I, I kept focusing on for the rest of my life, especially the rest of my youthful training life, uh, full contact kickboxing, Whatever was going to challenge me and scare me, that's what I would focus on. If something was easy, I lost interest on it. So the martial arts was always that focus and challenge for me in, in challenging myself.
1: Okay. It's it's interesting you mentioned how there's these events, and it's, it's always easy when you look back at these events in your life that you seem as you're at a disadvantage. You're moving around and you're moving around, but then there's always the hidden benefit that you only discover later where you said... It was easier for you to adapt in situations because you kept on moving around. So mm. you mentioned challenges. What, what were the challenges you were, you were struggling with just to get to training and so forth? Because uh, the, in
0: those days, um, the intimidation factor in training was reasonably high. I just posted a picture of uh, my instructor standing next to Bob Jones with their shirts off in the 80s when I was training with uh, with my instructor. And there, there was just a string of comments like, oh, my God, who would ever step forward into a room with those two men? People who were there in those days go, I remember the fear of training with them. And these people that were commenting of saying, I remember the fear, these guys are Australian title holders in kickboxing. They're national, international uh, champions in their own realm in full contact. Thai boxing or kickboxing. So these guys aren't just your general mainstream Joe off the street. These are highly accomplished fighters who admit to being scared when they trained with these two men. So for me, being a pacifist and being not a natural fighter, it was hard for me to just wander into training, and it's only now in the fullness of my 50s that I can say, yeah, I was scared. But to me, that was the challenge that I wanted to overcome. I didn't want to be scared. I remember at school being scared of people challenging me to fight, purely because I didn't know what to do. So by confronting that fear, funnily enough, it extinguished. And within about five years, I was fighting full contact. I had state titles. Um, Most of my friends started teaching earlier than me. Um, I just wanted to work in the security field as a doorman. I wanted to fight full contact. I wanted to continue to focus on getting control of my emotions in serious situations and not teaching because I didn't feel that I was qualified to teach yet.
1: Okay, so how did the journey of teaching then come around? And I'm going to get back to that because there's obviously a vast difference from what you described now with the whole intimidation factor, which – I could be wrong, but it's it's something that I haven't really seen in other places today. Um, yep. So we'll, we'll, we can get back to that. But how did how did your journey then evolve into teaching, and from there? You know, it's
0: funny because
1: just this week
0: I was standing in front of twenty kids. We we're doing a martial arts class, <clears throat> and one of the kids said, "Why did you start training?" Uh, sorry, why did you start teaching? And it stunned me because I thought. First of all, I couldn't remember because you're in your 50s, it's hard to remember where I put my keys, let alone what I originally, my original motivation was. So I had to think about it. And I remember thinking when I first started training, I enjoyed the training so much. I wanted to find a way to be able to continue to train more. And I started training, and then especially when I started focusing on a full-time martial arts club, I wanted to be free to train during the day, so I wanted to be able to run the martial arts school at night so I could train and surf and do all the things I I enjoyed during the day. So my initial um, motivation for getting involved in teaching was more of a, a perception of a lifestyle than wanting to help people. Uh, so, I know that sounds selfish, but I got to be honest. Um, I wanted to be able to train other people and create strong black belts and all that stuff, but I wanted to be able to train my way. And uh, that was my initial motivation. It just so happened that I was studying to be and was a school teacher in those days. So, my method of articulating a technique out the front or just being able to control a group of people was one that I'd learnt at university, not one that I just sort of fell into and had to work out along the way. I was professionally trained to be a teacher.
1: Okay. All right. So how did the progression go then from that point? So you started teaching. Where did you go? How did the whole ownership of of your first school come about?
0: I I was doing – reading self-help books and positive thinking books uh, in the 80s. Um, I was also buying uh, cassette tapes and listening to those in my car or whatever it might have been in those days. And I remember at one time they said they were talking about creating your own future, creating your own lifestyle, not just going to work for someone else and Jamming in what you like to do on the weekends. They said in this particular program, it said write down your perfect day, write down your perfect week, write down your perfect month. So I wrote down my perfect day. I would have I would have taught martial arts during the night time and during the day, I would have been I'd been free to do what I wanted to do. Be it you know because in those days I was I had a boxing trainer, I had a Thai boxing trainer. I was still fighting full contact. I was doing a whole range of things. So I thought. What fits in with my perfect day? Don't think about what I'm doing now. Think about what fits in with my perfect day. And running a martial arts school did. So, therefore, I had to work out well, I've got to be able to create the same income from running a martial arts school that I am as a school teacher. Because if I'm making 80 grand as a school teacher and uh, I can only make 50 grand as a martial arts instructor, my opportunity cost is thirty grand it's costing me thirty grand to be a martial arts instructor. so, as you can see, I researched the economics of running a martial arts school to fuel my perfect day, my perfect life, how I wanted to re- run my life. Most people do it in reverse
1: interesting, and I, I don't think it's selfish at all because this what i'm doing right here's a lifestyle by design i've i 've structured my business around the way i 'd like to live and it's 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 fascinating that you that 's how you actually started your whole planning and 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 really strategically planning it out that this is how it 's going to match your lifestyle by by design as such so what were the next steps to follow? so you had this plan in place that this was going to, this was going to fund your lifestyle in a perfect way that you're able to surf and do all your things and still have your passion of martial arts grow and evolve. So what were your first steps to open a school and, and, and get that started? Um, I've,
0: I've had eight different locations um, for martial arts schools, uh, seven or eight, something like that. Um, well, now it would be nine with Margaret River included. But my first locations were part-time locations, uh, shoestring budget, leaving pamphlets in letterboxes, Got my first few students. Just started to get it going. Uh, interestingly enough, the information that was around in those days for running a professional school—this is before internet. All you were left with was a uh, a couple of international magazines, and I bought online. Well, not online. I bought. Uh, it, via mail and paid for a book to come to me on how to run a martial arts school. And this is archaic stuff. And basically, in those days, I, I just got started with teaching and was trying to read everything I can, I could on martial arts schools because in there was only like a handful of martial arts schools in Australia that were running professionally. And even then, you'd find that the guys might have had a day job or they were supplementing their income in other ways. So I really had no other schools to look at that I could say, I want to model my school on that. So I, um, I just gradually learned by trial and error. For example, I, a student of mine, I bumped into him at the shop's. And I, I remember thinking about this recently. I'm amazed at how simple this was and people these days who run a school would think it's a little bit archaic for Sean to learn in this way. This guy said he joined another school and I said, wow, okay, how's it going? And um he said, Sean, it's it's the type of training is inferior to the one, the type of training that you do, he said, but on the walls are all the requirements for the belts. So we know where we're at and we know what's in front of us. He said, it's a little bit unclear as to what we're expected to do in the future to get better with you. And I remember it hitting me like a bolt, like that's so obvious. But in those days, none of us used to do that because we'd come in, we'd rent a hall, and then we'd move out and someone else would come into the hall. And rent it after that. So you couldn't put stuff up on the, the walls or windows or whatever. So I started doing things like that. I started letting my students know. And I'm talking, this is probably 1989. I started letting my students know this is what you have to do for your next level. This is what you have, this is the reason why. And you have to practice this and we're going to help you. And I started to be able to do, to do that and the school grew. And then one of my higher ranks quit. And one of my other high ranks saw him out somewhere and, and said, how can you not training anymore? And he says, oh, let tell you the truth. There was nothing wrong with Sean. He said it was just that we're, I'm sick of learning white belt stuff all the time. So I split the classes up because it was all, cla- all belts in one class. And I, I had so many people beginning in, in all the time that I just couldn't focus on the advanced people and the beginners. So that was the start of splitting classes. That was the start of a rotating curriculum. That was the start of requirements. So unfortunately, it was school of hard knocks in those days. You learn when things went wrong and you really had to sit down and think and take it personally. He quit because I couldn't take care of him. So it went from. Ten or fifteen students. I changed locations because my current location was cha- was taken over by the state emergency services. so It became office <laughs> office building. I've moved to another location which had a cheap rental agreement, but it was in a the wrong demographic. It was in Mount Lawley, which is like a retirement area practically. So I just couldn't work out why I wasn't getting why the phone wasn't ringing. So I closed that down and got a, a, a map of the northern suburbs of Perth, our city, and put markers, dots, wherever all the high schools were. And then I put a different colored marker where all the primary schools were and looked at the, the spread of dots and just looked straight in the middle there for a location, found a location, started training. Lo and behold, the phone starts ringing like crazy. Uh, I outgrew that went moved into Canham way, just down the road from where you were, you were training with Weymer. outgrew that and then moved into the big center, outgrew that, and then moved uh, combined buildings next door and the rest was history
1: there was a, there's a lot of growth spurts there what, what do you account to that i mean you you mentioned the structure the structure and people knowing exactly where they 're going but what what was the cause of getting the word out and getting people to to reach out to you, that the that the school grew so much. Two things. Number one, uh, in those days,
0: you would put a an advertisement, an ad in the paper. Like I remember, um, I put an ad in the paper, and I would hear. Remember the I don't know if your your listeners will remember the old pager system. Before mobile phones, we had pages and it was like a little button would beep on a little machine. It would, and it would be a message to say, John Smith called, please call me back on such and such interested in martial arts. So I remember I would get, uh, I'd get 60 inquiries in a night in those days. Wow. And I remember at one stage, I had 30 people come in to watch a class. So there was 30 in the class and 30 people watching. So it was really a case of number one, you were fishing by yourself in a river full of fish with hardly anybody else fishing and they were just jumping onto the hook. The unfortunate thing is that the systems were weak. My ability to be able to retain a student was weak, so I had a lot of uh, student loss in those days. But because I trained so hard, I was reasonably articulate out the front of the group of people. I actually had a, a linear growth pattern with my school's. Uh, a lot of guys, they might have you know, been great at marketing, but I tended to – I grew nine students a month for about three or four years. Um, there might have been t- – and I, I mean grow. I might uh, join 15, lose six, which is nine, but I gradually grew. I grew nine students a month until I had about 500 students, uh, which was unheard of in those days. And it was also my ability to be able to change the system that I was training under and having the courage to be able to go, I'm not going to do that and I'm not going to do that because I don't think it's a good idea. Uh, If I'm going to lose members, I'm not going to sacrifice quality, but I'm not going to do something just because it was done in the past. So it was that the courage aspect to be able to front up to my instructor and say, Look, I'm running a school. I want to do it properly, and he'd say, "Yeah, great, Sean." I'd say, "But I don't think I should have to do that, 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 and that," which was relatively unheard of in those days. And um, luckily, he supported me and didn't beat the living daylights out of me.
1: It's, it sounds like you had this. I mean, you you, you picked a great location. You had a yep. rush of people, obviously with yep. a lot of word of mouth, because you know people wouldn't just naturally be attracted to this to, to your location as well. So with all this happening, and you say you know you had to, you pretty much had to scramble to get things in place to retain the business. What were the systems you put in place first up to 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 structure the business to maintain all that flow?
0: First of all, for me personally,
1: when I was teaching all the classes
0: uh, initially, I was teaching seven, eight, nine, ten classes a week. Um, I had to again; it was trial and error. First of all, I had to identify what the requirements were and make them visible for all the students. Then I had to work out how I was going to train um, people of a variety of different levels. You would have, you know, obviously white belts in the class, you'd have people who've done a year, people who've done five years. So you've got to think, Do I? how do I split the classes up? And I remember one of the first things I did, I mean, I, I tried a lot of things. Uh, I would get all my black belts and I'd say, right, can I get you to take all the people that I join in, for instance, what is it now, September? So let's make it August. All these people have joined in August. I want you to take them through and teach them all the white belt curriculum through to their first belt, go. And he would take them. Uh, And there might be, say, 15 people in his group. But I've still got all this paperwork, funnily enough, in, in my archives somewhere. So I would take and he would have to identify who they were. He'd have to know their name, when they've trained. They would have specific times with him. And as I'm joining people for September, I'd have a separate black belt take those people on. And then as the first guy from August started to train those people, I'd be watching him. He would then graduate those people. We'd have a graduation night and he would dump them into my class. And then he would then be free to take on the next month of people, say, in October. So I tried that for a while. I then had one instructor training all class training all white belts no matter when they joined so I was constantly changing things around to work out what worked the best um, a mistake I made in those days was I had an instructor in a room next to me teaching and I was teaching the advanced grades and I realized that through word of mouth he wasn't following the curriculum so in retrospect I should have had someone taking the the bulk of the students, someone taking the beginners, and me floating between the two groups. So it really was a trial and error thing in those days, and I'm talking that was early 90s now, where the school had probably around 100 to 150 members.
1: I mean, you're talking about this curriculum stuff in the past, but you know, this is a conversation I had recently with, with a jiu-jitsu instructor about the whole structure thing. Um, and i mean i'm i'm but a, but a novice, but you know one thing i when, when i when I trained traditional zendokai and and that type of martial arts there was always the 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 structure you could see what was going what you need to do and it 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 kept you on track and then started training jujitsu, and it was sort of you get thrown in and it's there's no clear definition of what you're doing you just know that okay you're training jujitsu. what for for something like jiu jitsu and i know a lot of the muay thai clubs do that as well that it's just there's no real structure of training what what advice would you give someone that has that that type of style that they can put things in place and sort of create this curriculum style that people know where they're going okay well first and foremost is most
0: schools are successful they might have a curriculum and requirements and what have you, but they're successful because of the personality of the person out the front. They're not successful because they teach Arnis, Muay Thai, uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, or whatever. Even though Thai boxing and Brazilian and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu or MMA are the buzzwords today. So yeah, I mean, if I taught some weird system of martial arts, it would be harder to make a, a viable a viable business out of it, but. Having a good curriculum is only part of it. If you've got a good curriculum but you're boring out the front, you're going to struggle to be able to retain students because in this, in this day and age with, you know, the way we can access things on the, on the internet, people want edutainment. They want education and entertainment at the same time. They want edutainment. So, therefore, if you're an instructor, you need to be able to, Obviously, show students what you're teaching them and where that's going to lead to, but you have to ensure that they're being entertained at the same time. I don't mean entertained like they're laughing, but you need to give them a buzz in their training. You need to give them a buzz out of handling frustration successfully, because in the 80s, to create a large body of students, they made it easy. And then you ended up with weaker long-term students. Whereas the reason why MMA is so powerful these days is because you can't survive as a weakling. You either quit or you blossom and you toughen up. So going back to your question, my focus for one of those instructors would be to create a visible pathway that you are taking your students through. The instructor knows what they're doing, for instance, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, to get from white to blue. But they have to make the student understand that pathway and understand how they're going to get them there. That's something that we never did before. You just don't question your instructor and saying, you know, why are we doing this? That was just unheard of. It usually was met with violence or expulsion from the school.
1: (laughs) Okay, great. So, what made you, what made you uh, pretty, uh, I, I, and I'm not knowing the exact history, but what made you sell or, or, or leave your Greenwood location? Yep. Um, I, a,
0: a succession plan for any, any business owner is important. And also taking yourself out of the picture so that. I wanted to be able to ensure that the business would continue to run and continue to service the four or 500 members. And it floated between four or 500 uh, for probably a couple of decades, maybe a, a decade. Um, and when I sold, it was about the 400 mark. And I'd effectively, not entirely, but I'd removed myself from the situation. And I wanted to be able to have a system that still created solid students even if I wasn't the one uh, teaching all the time. So the decision to move out of the spotlight was a variety of things. Um, I knew that I wanted to uh, embrace a new direction in my life, and I think that you can't move in a new direction in your life in any area of life unless you completely let go of an old direction. It's a bit like you can't see what's over the horizon without setting sail and leaving the safety of the port, you might say. So that was my motivation because I've always had an ability to be able to change my mind and go that way if I feel I want to pivot. So when I was about, what am I now, 54? When I was about, about 10 years ago, about 44, I realised that my direction was changing. I had a faltering marriage. Um, and the, the Grahams and the Phil's in my, in my club supported me through that, which I'm forever grateful for. And I was really going through a, something that we all go through, not a midlife crisis, but just a questioning period in like, who am I? What am I doing? What's my contribution to the world? Is it just martial arts? How am I contributing to my own life and, and my, my world around me? So I realized I needed some time off. At the same time, I, had two kids in high school and I realized I was missing their growth. So, for example, when I did sell the school, my focus was to get back in touch with them. So I spent basically two years not being a full-time dad but traveling with the kids and doing things like that and, and sort of concentrating on getting myself together after nearly 20 years of total focus on the business. So, yes, I was burnt out but I needed to be able to find someone who could carry the mantle of my business because I'm not the sort of person who can just close a business down and walk away. Like I, I mentally trauma, I'm emotionally traumatized every time someone quits my martial arts school. Even when I had 400, I would still be traumatized when someone says I want to quit. I take it personally. So knowing that I had to create a system of strength that could carry on after me. I looked at franchising, partial ownership, the whole lot, but I thought, no, I want to step away completely.
1: We touched on this a bit earlier. So how have you evolved then? Because you you mentioned that you had this whole change and real questioning, who are you? What do you want in life? And now you've, you've, you've moved out of Perth as such. You've opened a new martial arts school. How has things changed for you? Well, one of the things like one of my kids was questioning me. I've got two
0: kids. Um, And one of the kids was questioning me and said, look, we won't see you as much if you move to Margaret River. And I said, look, I'm only three hours away. I said, but how can I teach you? I'm your dad. I'm supposed to show you the way in life. How can I teach you to chase your goals in life if I don't don't chase mine? So that was the reason for me going, okay, rather than me – um, spend a month a year living in an idyllic location, and eleven months of the year working so that I can do that. Why don't I just live in an idyllic location? So we looked all over the world of places to live. Uh, we looked at the, fa- the fact that we've myself and my wife have both got kids. I've got two kids. She's got triplets. So she's got, you know, we've got five kids between us. We wanted to stay accessible to them. So we had to make it within, you know, a two or three hours drive of Perth. And then we just got the map out and said, where do we want to live? Not where do we live now? Where do we want to live? Which goes right back to our original conversation is what kind of a day do I want to lead? What what would be a perfect lifestyle for me? Not how much money do I want to earn? What kind of house do I want to live in? It's what kind of of activities enrich me on the inside most. So I tended to that first, and funnily enough, I'm a better teacher now. I'm a better martial arts instructor. I'm a better dad. I'm a better partner because I've taken care of myself first. So when I focus on my wife or my kids or my parents, I'm totally focused on them because I'm coming from a strong, calm foundation of I'm living the life I want to. So that was the reason for the move, the departure from the big martial arts school. Everybody would, you know, used to say, "How can you sell your baby?" And it's like, yeah, well, it's not me. It's something that I've created, and it will evolve with the next owners too, which it has. And now I need to move in a different direction. So now more, I I had to really investigate what matters to me most in the world. What do I think is wrong with the world? What do I think is my message to the next generation? And that's the basic message I have. I just happen to do it via the vehicle of martial arts training. That's
1: awesome. Sean, it's been great chatting to you. Is is there anything that I missed? Is there any direction that I... Questions that I didn't ask that I should have.
0: Look, um, the thing that uh, that I totally focus on now is um, in the martial arts industry. There is a lot of who's got more students, who's got uh, a bigger location, whose students are the best, whose students have more titles, um, which instructor is toughest, and. At the end of the day, with the challenges that we are facing globally and nationally, who fights better than another person is of minimal interest to me and to really to everybody. It's the things that are challenging us globally and nationally, which is what we should be focusing on. So I've looked at the things that matter to me, things like you know climate change, things like uh, religious intolerance, things like uh, crime and drugs and what have you, and I thought, right, these are the things which are really important. These are the things that are really going to threaten the lives of my kids in the next decade, let alone by 2050. So I thought if I can identify the types of things that, for example, kids need to be armed with to be able to be successful and happy in their life, Sure, it's an ability to be able to defend themselves, but that's not of primary importance. Kids these days, adults for that matter too, but kids these days need to know how to think creatively. They need to be able to make up solutions to problems where there is not an obvious solution. And martial arts can do that. Martial arts, it's up to the martial arts instructor to go, look, I've taught you defences numbers one, two and three. Now, they're not going to work. You've got to work out. How do you blend two and three together? You've got to work. I'm not going to save you. I mean, I save my little kids occasionally by going, stop, start again, you're crying, whatever it might be. But quite often, after six months of training, they're stuck underneath someone in Brazilian jiu-jitsu or whatever it is and go, I'm not your mum. I'm not going to save you. You've got to work it out. Person on top, stay on top. Come on, you can do it. I'm there barracking for you, but me and your mum and dad are not going to save you. And it's that... I suppose tough love but it's that making people comfortable with the struggle and getting to think outside the box even when it's uncomfortable that's a life lesson and that's something that should be articulated by every instructor who cares who can punch the hardest it's can you handle the difficulties in life and can you come up with answers I mean what is it 40% of the jobs in today's market won't be in existence when the kids in today leave school. And what's that by 2020 or whatever it is? 40% of jobs won't even exist. So we don't even know what the future is going to look like. We have to teach our young people and adults for that matter to think creatively under pressure. That's what martial arts can do very well. So that's, as you can see, I'm passionate about that. Um, when I talk about the history, it's like, oh, okay, well, I'll tell you what happened years ago. Today's different. And I, that's what I've done is I've completely changed my martial arts curriculum to answer today's problems. And it might not necessarily defending yourself against a right hand punch in the face.
1: Wow. That, that was a great way to end things off. Thanks again for your time. Um, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, I know you also do coaching. Where can yeah. people get in touch with you? Okay, look, I um, uh,
0: if they search Margaret River Martial Arts, they search Sean Allen. Um, you know, I've got websites and what have you. Uh, I'm more interested in, I mean, me growing myself financially, that's sort of taken care of now. I'm more interested in seeing social change and change within the industry. So if anybody wants to contact me, they just search me or search, uh, you know, my name and Margaret River Martial Arts and just stay in touch with, the types of things that I'm talking about because I'm researching the latest educational techniques for martial arts instructors. For example, my martial arts system that I'm teaching now is a blend of the Montessori education system and traditional martial arts. So if someone wants to learn more about that, I've written articles on it. I'd rather see me turn the industry upside down so that it's helping more people rather than adding more violence to an already violent society. I don't think we need people to be more violent. I think we need people to creatively think their way out of problems more.
1: Excellent. Sean, thanks again for your time. It's been great chatting to you. I hope to chat to you soon.
0: George, much appreciated and uh, thanks for asking me in the first place.
1: Thanks, Sean. Cheers. And There you have it. Thank you, Sean Allen. And As you could hear in the last few minutes there, that is where Sean's real passion lies, being able to teach people life skills through martial arts classes. Big takeaway I got from that is what's success for you? Success, can't, isn't, success doesn't mean numbers and big this, big premises, but what is success for you as a person and what are you doing to serve your life purpose through your passion of martial arts? And he's got a completely different process. Or different system in place for a school, very niche based, very small, and has a huge waiting list. Think about that, how you could apply something like that, although this is not a tactic for Sean, it happens because of his good service, but if you only got a small premises, think how you could differentiate yourself from all the other martial arts schools out there by providing a better service, being niche, actually have a waiting list because you are in demand, and by that of course when you have a niche service and have a better service, People are prepared to pay more for that. So once again, show notes are at martialartsmedia.com forward slash 8, the number 8. I have a few exciting guests coming up. I'm also working on an excellent training, online webinar training for martial arts school owners about all the aspects of martial arts marketing methods, Um, but more on that later. But that's it for now. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope to speak to you soon. See you next week. Cheers. Ladies and gentlemen That will conclude
0: this evening's entertainment Thanks for listening If you need help building your martial arts school Check out martialartsmedia.com